Now, you've got to ask yourself, in what areas are you choosing not to honor the God-given process? In what areas are you saying, I want the outcome, and I don't care how I get there. The ends justify the means. Wrong. The thing is, is that God works in those moments within the process where you say, I want to honor God's process so that I can land exactly where God wants me to. There's a process to basically every aspect of life. If you want to become a doctor, the process involves years of studying and training. If you want to be a grandparent, first you go through the toddler years and then the teen years with your own children. God has a process for your training as well. He's looking to grow fruit in your life through the process. In today's message, Pastor Daniel asks, in what ways are you not submitting to God's process? Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Ruth chapter 4 as he continues his message, An Amazing Redemption. I want to give you a principle that I think not only do we see it playing out here, but it's also as we've been talking about God's amazing redemption and how it works in our life. So I'm going to give you the principle and then we'll unpack it in the context of the story. And it's this, that you and I need to learn how to honor the process. You have to learn how to honor the process. Or, and I could even take it a step further. It's not only enough just to honor the process. We have to learn how to enjoy the process. Because what you find here in the life of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi, as it is, is there's a process. There's a right order of things that needs to unfold in order for this thing to happen. And Boaz is committed to not circumventing the process, but he wants to honor the process. And in the midst of honoring the process, all that God wants to have will unfold. Now, the reason I think that this is important, of course, is because, and I've said this many, many times, that we love the outcome, but God loves the process. And really, in the day-to-day faithfulness in the process, that is where God transforms our character. And for many of us, the greatest struggle we have is we want the right outcome, but we don't want to honor the process to get there. And by dishonoring the process or not enjoying the process, we're actually cutting the knees out from under what God wants to teach us because we're not willing to do God's work God's way. And so we have Boaz here. He's honoring the process. So remember, Boaz told Ruth, listen, go home. There's somebody who has the right of redemption before me. We need to check in with that person first. Now you can imagine if Boaz, he wanted to marry Ruth and all this, he could have just figured out Like, where's the gray area around the process? But he doesn't do that. He shows up early the next morning. He goes to the city gates. Now, the city gates was the place where all the business in that community was transacted. The elders and businessmen were there. That's why all the elders were there. And Boaz is there waiting for this closer relative to show up so he can transact some business with them. Now, what I think is beautiful here is he's there and he sees the close relative. He's like, hey, so-and-so, come over here. Here, sit down. And then he grabs 10 elders because in the presence of two or three witnesses, every matter will be established, right? And he sits down, he says, now listen. He says, you remember our brother Elimelech? Well, his wife Naomi just came back from Moab and they sold a piece of land and you are the nearest relative. You're allowed to redeem it. So if you're going to redeem it, tell everybody. And if not, 
I want to redeem it. So what do you want to do? And he's like, I'll definitely take the land. Absolutely. But Boaz, he's shrewd. He's smart. He knows that the guy wants the land. But he's like, but listen, if you get the land, you actually have to take Ruth too. So this guy was like, man, the land sounds great, but the wife and the mother-in-law, thanks anyway. Now, I'm not like knocking women in that. It's just like, like it's one thing to, to, to acquire a piece of property, another thing to acquire a piece of property and a bride and her mother-in-law and the Leverite custom that the firstborn male of this new marriage will actually be of the bloodline of Elimelech. So the guy's like, uh, you know what, thanks anyway. And notice what he says. And he says this in verse six. He says, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right for redemption for yourself for I cannot redeem it. See, this man realizes that he's going to take the resources, the inheritance that would go to his children to buy a piece of land that he would also end up with another wife that if they have a child, that child now gets that inheritance. So they're taking their kids' money to buy this piece of land and then that other son gets it and then other requests on his estate. So at that point, the guy doesn't want to do it. And what's amazing is, is Boaz, you get the sense, knew that that was what was going to happen. It's one thing just to get the commodity. It's another thing to count the cost and see all that it's going to entail. And Boaz honors the process. He gives the near relative the choice. It's you have the right. It's up to you, whatever you want. If you want it, it's yours. And if not, I would like it. Now, but what I love about it is Boaz's integrity caused him to make sure he did it right. He wasn't content just to get the land and to get Ruth and all this. He wanted to honor the process. Now, you got to ask yourself, in what areas are you choosing not to honor the God-given process? In what areas are you saying, I want the outcome and I don't care how I get there. The ends justify the means. Wrong. The thing is, is that God works in those moments within the process where you say, I want to honor God's process so that I can land exactly where God wants me to. Now, this isn't a popular teaching today because we live in a day and age of get-rich-quick schemes, right? Now, you know the only person who gets rich in a get-rich-quick scheme, right? The person who invented it, who fooled you into buying into it. That's the only person who gets rich in a get-rich-quick scheme. Why? Because very few people get rich quick. It's the same thing, and I've said this many times. I love to eat. Can I get an Amen. Amen. I love to eat, right? And so I remember, like, when I eat a meal, the number of times I've said to myself, man, it'd be so cool after I ate this meal if I could just swallow this pill and it dissolves everything in my stomach. Because I'll be honest, my food enjoyment is the flavors going in, not necessarily the digestion process. And depending on how much you eat, the process that your body goes through to deal with all the first and seconds and thirds and fourths, especially cake and Twinkies and all these things, you know, it's like that process is no fun. So after you eat, if you could just eat a pill and it dissolves everything and then you can just go back and eat your first, seconds, thirds and fourths again and you can have all the enjoyment without all the downside. Now, that you might say that's sick and you're a glutton. I'd say, amen, that's why I believe in Jesus. But the idea for me is the fact that, you know, like how many times you ever see, you know, get skinny and buff quick. Right? It's on your Facebook feed. It's on your Instagram thing. And it's like, it's like, okay. And you're like, okay, take this pill. And the person looks all this and they're all not in shape. And then the next thing is like 30 days later and they're ripped and chiseled and all this thing. Right? And then like, just take this pill and eat whatever you want. And a bunch of people are like, okay, 
take this pill and eat whatever I want. And then sure enough, 30 days later, you spend all this money and they got you on a subscription. You can't quit. And you're just growing, not in the ways that you want to. Why is that the case? Because you're trying to get to the end without honoring the process. Now, every once in a while, if you notice with those kind of things, they'll be like, look, if you eat this way, you do this workout for 90 days, and then they show you these before and after pictures, you know, what you'll find is that if you actually do all 90 days and you eat the plan, you might not end up being one of the people in the pictures, but you will see some change. Why? Because you can't just get buff in 30 days if you spent half your life being unbuff, right? Like, you can't become rich in 30 days if you spent all of your life being impoverished. There's a process that needs to go through in order to make a full change. And that's what we actually have going on for most of us spiritually. It's like for many people, you want to be a spiritual giant, but you actually don't want to have to be faithful on the step that you're on. I get this all the time. I meet people, you know, and they're like, I want to be a pastor. Great. Well, where are you serving? I'm not serving because I'm supposed to preach. I'm like, oh, really? I'm like, well, so why don't you go in a serving kids ministry? Well, I'm called to the pulpit. I'm like, well, actually right now you're called to learn how to be a servant. If you can't preach to kids, if kids don't want to listen to you, adults definitely won't want to listen to you. They're just grown up kids. You know? And they're like, oh, well, okay. And then they go serving kids ministry. I served in kids ministry for three weeks. Can I be a pastor now? No. Can't be a pastor now. Go back to kids ministry. You know? And then eventually they get mad at Crossroads. They leave and they start a church. And nobody comes. Why? Because you got to honor the process. Like, are you willing to be faithful on the step that you're on? Are you willing to say, in my marriage, I'm going to love my spouse. In my singleness, I'm going to honor the Lord by maintaining my purity. In my job, am I going to be the best employee, not for the paycheck or for the promotion, but because God sees my work, and in God's creation, he created work to be good, and I'm going to be amazing, and if I'm an employer, I'm going to treat my employees with kindness and blessing and respect. Why? Because that's what it means to honor the process. If you're in school, are you honoring the process? Should be great to graduate, but before you graduate, you got to spend four years in high school or four years in college. Will you honor the process? And I think that this is a lost art in a, I want everything quick culture. But that's where the growth happens. I mean, of course, in Matthew 25, verse 23, Jesus said it this way, doing that parable of the sheep and the goats, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things, and I will make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now, here's the thing. What God is interested in is you and I learning how to be faithful on the step that we're on. Now, we don't have to be faithful to be saved because we're saved by the finished work of Jesus apart from anything we do. But once we're saved, then we should seek to be like our Lord, which is faithful. And the question for you is, is are you being faithful and honoring the process that God has in front of you right now? And here's the thing, when I say that, it's easy to think, of course I am, but think about it. Because we live in a culture that doesn't like to honor the process. We live in a culture, like they talk about entitlement, right? That's a big thing. And for those of you who are younger, the older generation is like, so-and-so, so entitled. Well, it takes one to know one. What I've learned is that American culture is just an entitled culture. If you're older or younger, all of us are entitled. 
That's the problem of American culture. And so it's easy for people to see it in the younger generation because you're like, well, you know, I work so hard and that's why I'm the CEO and you need to work in the mailroom. And people, kids coming out of college are like, well, I graduated college, so I should be the CEO. Thank you very much. Why aren't I the decision maker? But the thing is, is here's what I'll tell you. If you're the person judging the person as entitled, I guarantee you're equally as entitled. So I met many people like, well, man, I've been, you know, I've been part of this world for 60 years and now I deserve, and that's what you call entitlement. Right? Looking down on somebody because of what you've done as compared to what they've done, that's just pride. So I'm not knocking the older generation or the younger generation. Here's what I'm telling you. That entitlement and the gospel have nothing to do with each other. God wants something better for us. Right? And really what goes on is God is saying, I want you to learn how to be faithful right where you are. And how are you doing with that? Because what God does is he knows that if we can learn to be faithful on the step we're on, he can give us the next thing. And If we've been faithful on the last step, God's like, well, there's a track record of being faithful on this step. And if you're faithful on this step, then God gives you the next step and then the next step. And we don't do faithfulness to be saved. We do faithfulness because our God is faithful. But what I also realize is that for many of us, we don't want to honor the process. We just want the outcome. We don't care what we have to do or cheat to get to the outcome. And that is what Boaz isn't doing here. He's letting this whole thing play out. He knows he wants to marry Ruth. He knows this is what he wants, but he's honoring the cultural process that's in place there because he wants to make sure that he, he means Boaz as the kinsman redeemer is a man of integrity because he honored the process. Now, don't miss the fact, I've been telling you all the way along that Boaz is a perfect picture of Jesus. Now, here's why. There was a closer relative who could have redeemed Ruth, but he counted the cost that he didn't want it. But Boaz has counted the cost and he does want it. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus has counted the cost of what it would take to save you and me. And he chose to live it out. I mean, that's why it says that Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame and is now seated down at the right hand of the father. See, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus did that. See, Jesus counted the cost of what it would take to redeem you and me. And he decided in the midst of it that it was worth the cost. I mean, think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember when he was sweating drops of blood? He said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass me, but not my will, but yours be done. And then Jesus, because he's saying, Lord, the cross is going to be brutal. Receiving all the punishment that all the world deserves for all of their mistakes, that's going to hurt. And I know, God, that you are too pure that your eyes should even behold evil. He knew what it meant. And Jesus said, listen, but Lord, if this is the only way, I'll take that road. And then he took that road for you and for me. The other redeemer, he didn't want what it would cost. And Jesus said, man, for God's glory and for the redemption of people, I'm willing to pay the price, my own life. And I love that about Jesus. Now, listen, I realize there's some of you here right now. You hear that and you're like, man, that might be cool. But, you know, like, you don't know my story. Listen, you're right. I don't know your story. But Jesus does. And Jesus said it was worth it. So don't believe the lie that for one second what you've done is too bad. It's too far. Don't believe for one second that God's grace is sufficient for everyone but not you because of your story or your struggle or your history. Here's what I want to tell you. He counted the cost and he decided to take the step anyway. He thought, I am willing to suffer for you. 
So don't let anything hold you back from Jesus. Don't let anything keep you from being that person who Jesus redeems. You're thinking, oh, I'm not, I'm not. He's like, you're right, you're not any of those things, but I am. I'm sufficient. And we allow him to do that. Don't let anything keep you from Jesus. Not the lies, not your fears. Listen, he's already done the work. All that's lacking is your faith that applies the finished work of Jesus to your life. So we begin here with honoring the process and Jesus did it and we see Boaz doing it. Now look at what happens next. In verse seven, it says, now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other and this was the confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position in the gate. You are witnesses this day. Now, I think this is really awesome because there was a time when people would say, you know, my word is my bond. And then there was a time where it's like, you give a good firm handshake, right? And I know for me, like we live in a day and age, if you want to do any transaction of business, it's like you need to get lawyers involved. There's like 97 pages of documentation. I remember when Lynn and I bought our house. We only ever bought one house, a house here. We had been saving for years, married for years. We were never able to buy a house. We got here, we bought a house. And I remember when we were going through the house buying process, like I felt pretty violated by the process. I thought they were going to ask for like a kidney and stuff. You know what I mean? Because I'm and like, I realized it was post like, you know, subprime mortgage and so there's the overcompensation but I don't think it's gotten any better you know say they want to make sure all these you know every single way possible that you're squared away and you got to sign a hundred documents and I remember at the title company like like like, you can read them or you can just sign them you know and and they do that so you don't read them you know what I mean because it's like there's all like you guys remember that like I got carpal tunnel signing all those documents like, and this thing is this thing, and this thing says, and this thing says that we told you this thing, and we did tell you that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, you did. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's amazing, but back in the day, you just hand someone your sandal, it's over. <laughs> and I think it kind of sounds cool. I mean, I would have been like, hey, here, here's my Birkenstock. Here you go. Like, you can have it. We're, we're square. Yeah, you got my Birkenstock. I got your Air Moses. We're good to go, you know? And so I thought it was pretty cool, you know, that it was like that. But, and so they would just exchange sandals. Now you have to give a DNA sample. You know what I mean? It shows the fallenness of humanity and what's going on. But literally, that's the way the exchange, and really the idea of the exchanging of the sandals was like, now you have the authority to walk on this land. That's what it means. It's your land. It's yours to walk on. It was mine. You can walk on it now as yours. But what I love about what goes on here, and here's the principle. If you honor the process, that you have to learn how to make it public. Do you notice that everything that Boaz does here is public. He's got the guy there. He's got the 10 elders. Once the guy says, I won't redeem the land, 
Boaz makes a public proclamation of what's going on. The guy says, buy it for yourself. They exchange his hand. And then Boaz says, you are my witnesses. This day that I bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Malon's, all that was Chilion's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, I'm marrying Ruth the Moabitess. And I'm going to raise up offspring that the name of her deceased husband would not be limited from the life of the children of Israel. And what I love so much about Boaz is Boaz makes a public declaration of what this is. And brothers and sisters, listen, this is what I want to encourage you. Make your faith public. Make it public. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. See, this is what's called the Great Commission. That we go, we make disciples of every nation, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all these things that God commands us to teach. See, we need to be willing to take our faith and make it public. And you know why I think this is important? Because for too many of us, we're scared to tell people that we're followers of Jesus. Like, listen, we live in a world that's kind of, you have the thought police. If you don't believe like someone else believes, they're going to tell you that you're evil. But listen, people have pride in being everything today, but Christians are quiet. As if the death and resurrection of Jesus is something that we're going to be quiet about. Brothers and sisters, listen. Take your faith public. Don't be afraid to tell somebody, I believe in Jesus who died on a cross for me. That's why we encourage you to share the services. To put, hey, I'm at crossroads. Why? Because we want you to take your faith public. Because too many of us now, we're scared to say, my life is hidden in Christ. Because it's not maybe popular in 21st century America to be a follower of Jesus. But guess what? It's awful popular in heaven. Amen. Too many of us have taken our testimony and we've buried it. Now, let me give you an example of this. Now, imagine if I followed you home today from church. Now, I'm not planning on doing it. Now, imagine you pull into your driveway, but I'm actually not going to your house. I just pull into your neighbor's driveway. Now, imagine I go and knock on their door, and for the sake of argument, they open the door. Because if I was knocking on someone's door I didn't know, I wouldn't open up the door for me. But that's a different side discussion. But for the sake of the story, I knock on the door, and they open the door, and I say, hey, how's it going? My name is Daniel. I know it sounds crazy. I'm a pastor over this church called Crossroads. You heard of the church? Oh, yeah, we heard of the church. Jesus is real. All that stuff. And I say, so, hey, listen. I'm like, do you know your neighbor right there? They are part of Crossroads. Would they be like, get out, really? They go to church? I mean, you never know it with all the kegging parties they have, the ragers they throw. I mean, or, or they'd be like, oh man, oh, that's they need Jesus, man. That's so good. I, I mean, I've been praying for them for 25 years because they haven't talked to me over six inches of a property line. They let their dog do their business on the lawn. I go, say, hey, hey can, you, can, you, can, you, can you curb your dog? My dog's allowed to go wherever my dog wants to go. Listen, if that's your testimony, you need to change right now. Because the people, if you're following Jesus, your faith transforms the way you live your life. Not so that you get saved. Because Jesus has saved you, your life changes. And if you have no testimony, because nobody knows that you're a follower of Jesus, then my friends, you're missing the boat because Jesus just didn't die all hidden away. He was put to open scorn. He was crucified on a Roman cross, hung out there for everyone to see. And then when Jesus was resurrected from the grave, he was just like, look, I'm alive. Just get in. Change his status on Facebook. He revealed himself to people. He showed himself to people. Even people like Saul of Tarshish who hated him. Why? Because Jesus was unafraid to live his life out loud. 
What an incredible message today. Pastor Daniel showed us that though we love the outcome, God loves the process. When you submit yourself to the process that God has for you, you give him immense power in your life to change and shape your character. It's not enough to simply accept the process, however. We need to find a little of Boaz in ourselves and learn to honor and enjoy the process God set up. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel, and I want to be honest with you for a moment. Life is messy, and the hard reality is, if it isn't messy for you now, it will be, and it probably has been in the past. Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus, no matter the circumstances. You can find out more about it and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel will tackle one of the biggest weapons of the enemy, distraction. When the enemy gets you distracted, you're going to miss all the incredible things God has planned for you in the process. Did you know one of your major purposes in life is to produce fruit? Not just any fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. When you see that that's the goal, every day is filled with purpose. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Oasis. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.